When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Hey everybody, Michael Thiessen here, and you are listening to Open Mic with me, Michael Thiessen. So thank you for listening. This show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to legally defend those who stand in Canada. Christian Week is a bit broader, and it exists to provide a practical, hope-filled, balanced perspective on national and global issues. So head over to christianweek.org, and you're going to see a number of uh, a, a print communication there to encourage you. Uh, friends, this is also a ministry of my church, Royal Spring Chapel, and we are just excited to continue to try to bring you content of Christians who are living out their worldview and interacting and sometimes opposing uh, the situations that they find themselves in. So if you want to support our podcasting work, head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com backslash donate, click the analysis box and donations there are submitted to directly to Christian Week. And folks, thanks so much. We had a great January with people supporting our legal and advocacy work. So again, if you want to join that group, head over to Liberty Coalition Canada and donate uh, there under other distinctions. As we get started uh, with the podcast today, I want to again remind you that we have a great sponsor uh, Rocklink Investment Partners. Rocklink Investment Partners understand the investment challenges of today. Rocklink is an independent investment management firm focused solely on creating portfolios of high quality businesses. So email rocklink at info at rocklink.com or visit them at www.rocklink.com. That is link with a C. And so today, everybody, we have a much-anticipated interview. In fact, I'm in a number of signal groups where people have been chattering and celebrating and giving thanks to God for the work of our friend, Oklahoma State Senator and Pastor Dusty Devers. Uh, Dusty, it is absolutely great being on the show. You have to know how much of an encouragement you're being to Christians all over the world so thank you for coming on and taking time to just have a conversation with me. Oh man, Mike, it's my pleasure. And uh, it's it's really an honor to, to come on your show with you and to share this time with you. Um, I know that when you put your hand to a work and you do it with everything you've got, it's, um, there's a, it's, there's an 
it's an honor for someone else to participate with you in that. And I, I recognize that and want to uh, just appreciate you and what you're doing. Well, uh, you know, your work across uh, your work uh, in Oklahoma is affecting people across many borders. And so this is a really exciting endeavor uh, that we can join in. And as we were talking off camera, some of the, some of the things that I was reminded about is you are moving from being uh, uh, having a, a probably basically like pastoring is a public life, but it's not a state senator public life. And of course, like um, Jimmy Fallon has just uh, done a done a whole stand up bit that was quite vulgar and not very funny even like he, he struggled to get at you. Uh, Rolling Stone just uh, released an online hit piece. Um, by the way, Dusty, I don't know if you noticed it on Twitter, but somebody I don't know if I'm getting ex exactly right, but somebody posted that Rolling Stone article and, and then underneath commented saying Rolling Stone finally getting back to reporting on real rock stars. I don't know if you saw that, <laughs> but, so, but you got, you received some love on that, but, but you're going, you're going from a level of private pastoring to a, a national platform. And would you walk people through kind of what that is like, both in your actual work at committee and then kind of how you face the press and how you face kind of just the headlines. Yeah. Yeah. So moving from uh, pastoring, I've, I've been a little bit out in the public for since about 2019, uh, whenever we started to really push for bills to abolish abortion <clears throat> And started traveling around and, and really uh, seeking to apply the word of God to that particular area. And then recognizing that uh, the, the word of God applied uh, publicly to every, I mean, I, I already knew this, but was whenever COVID came, it really uh, caused us to, to assess our responses and say, don't we have something historically that's going to help us uh, answer these questions and give us footing when, when the world's losing its mind and we've got chaos uh, all around us and we just kind of like throw every idea in a blender and see what, what, what we get. We get this smoothie of ideas that's just horrendous. But if we, we so we're, we're Reformed Baptist uh, confessional 1689, we're, we, at that time, we had just been reading through it. We hadn't claimed the confession as a church. And so we went back and started reading our confessions and reading Westminster and, and some of the reformers and Lex Rex and Vindicia Contra Tyrannis and Bastias the Law. And I mean, just a lot of them. Uh, and recognizing we've gotten this uh, really wrong. So that took us about just a couple, three, four weeks, and we were back. We we're back in the game. Uh, so uh, since then, uh, it's kind of been a, a, a bit of a ramp up to public life, such that whenever this seat came open, I was able to uh, recognize it's it's just not a big stretch to say 
it didn't come out of the blue necessarily. The church was ready. We had been preaching through Deuteronomy. We had been publicly interacting on these matters. I had been going and speaking during COVID to uh, city council meetings and um, and other public events and charging them. You have no jurisdiction here over these people's lives. Um, God has not given you the authority over their life, nor has he given the government authority over people's uh, lives. So you don't have that jurisdiction. And so you need to stay out of it and uh, that you're, you're being tyrants. So there was a bit of a ramp up. And so now uh, being in office, uh, you know, one of the things that we, we talked about during my campaign is God writes the best stories. And if you have completely cast yourself into his providence and you know that the greatest grace that you can have is in the midst of that providence, that the grace, that providence is supplying the exact place that you need to be. It's, it's supplying the very grace that you need for that day that he says to trust him for. Don't be anxious. Trust him for the grace that he's going to supply for that day because it's going to capture the worries and troubles of that day. And every day he's going to have you on this path to uh, not only experiencing these perhaps difficult providences, but with the difficult providence comes a uh, demonstrable grace. Like, I'm experiencing it in ways that in the past were like, yeah, I think I had the grace of God today and every day I'm, I'm on my knees in the Capitol with my executive assistant pleading with God, God, give us your, 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 the strength today. Give us your grace, sharpen our minds, uh, prepare us for everything that's here. Let us apply your word to everything. Let us be bold uh, in pro proclaiming Christ. And so uh, it has catapulted us in, into a public space, but I would say we didn't neglect the day of small beginnings over the past 10 years. And so this next step wasn't like uh, climbing Everest. It was kind of, okay, we're going to, instead of just taking the steps one at a time, let's, let's jump and skip one and we'll climb it that way. And so I would, I would just encourage people to, uh, to not neglect those small beginnings, grow in degree of faith and let him change you from one degree of glory to the next and see what he does. So whenever I'm in the public space now, one of my aims is to really, I guess, kind of graciously jar Christians to say, what are we doing? What time is it? Um, I want them to vary. It's almost a little more abrupt, a little more uh, um, kind of front facing whenever I'm on like in, in uh, Twitter or on Facebook. I'm not very much on Facebook, but more on Twitter. I want it to be abrupt. There's, there's a very distinct line here. And so I want it to cause people to think uh, whenever I'm in the committee meetings, I want it, want people to, to think, but what I'm, I'm taking in these various issues, whether it's the Environmental Protection Agency bringing massive restrictions upon the oil and gas industry in Oklahoma and me bringing up things like the 10th Amendment and the right to nullification and how states have a constitutional duty to protect our people from federal laws or federal court opinions that uh, usurp the jurisdictional boundaries of, of Oklahoma. 
that the Constitution, the, the, the federal government doesn't have the enumerated power to do that. So I'm having those kinds of conversations, but that's coming from my base level um, uh, pre-commitment that Christ is Lord. He's king. And just law and impartiality is going to be worked out uh, in various ways. And by God's grace, it's worked out in our constitution and both federal constitution and our state constitution. So I can apply that too. And so it gets more technical um, and it deals with numerous other issues in those committee meetings. But uh, in public, I'm just trying to help Christians see you can be bold and it doesn't matter if they revile you. You just heap, God, God is heaping blessings on your head whenever they revile you. So one thing that my listeners will know about, because we talk about this a lot, and I think you're doing a fantastic job on it, is that remember everybody, the concept of the Overton window, where it's like socially acceptable views. And so we've talked about this many times, but I'm just going to go through it again, where the left keeps pushing the window. And I don't know if I'm moving to the left. I think I'm actually moving to the right here. I should start over there at the left. The left keeps pulling the window further left. And what has been happening with Christians who have fallen into concepts of uh, neutrality, who have call, fallen into concepts of like academic freedom in the sense of like expecting the experts to be, uh, to be neutral, um, is that the left just keeps pushing the window and where, the, where even like the expectations on the street of discussion – are so ridiculous. So for example, if I go to a gym and just so you know, Dusty, we're going through some stuff and I might be calling you for some advice on, on a transgender, uh, uh, a transgender bill. Uh, we've got a cross-dressing man trying to enter a female bathroom that my, my, my daughter changes into. And so, mm -hmm. uh, this is, you know, we're, we're dealing this with on the local level and my listeners will know this. And so, what happens is, is you actually have people say things like, well, I can see both sides of the issue. Or you have people say, well, if she wants to dress it. And what's happened is they're so used to the left's terminology that they don't even realize how ridiculous they are. And folks, what Dusty is doing publicly and with all of these very brash bills, we're going to get to the bills, is – he is pushing the window back to the right. So and, and it's actually a pushback because what the right has been doing all along is just trying to keep the window stationary because they just don't want to be inflammatory. And so when you hear Dusty talking about taking the word of God and applying it to the real world, taking the law of God and applying it, saying to people, you can be bold and brash. What's, what's functionally happening out in that public space is the Overton window goes back and all of a sudden people go, oh yeah, that guy's not a girl. And you, and, 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 you know, oh yeah, cutting up a baby in the womb is murder. Like, uh, we went with the strategy of don't have, you know, inflammatory signs for years because we didn't want to offend people. But where has that gotten us? That's just gotten us to people being commonly willing to kill children when they want. And so all of these things is a major – so this is – you're operating in a, in a really important functional space. But the reason why I'm going through all of this and, and uh, probably talking too much, people want to hear you. But when you're then doing the same thing at a policy level, 
you're doing it with all of the legal resources and all of the research on uh, at your hands. And so everybody just know that th there's a, there's like a, there's a public function to just being a pushbacker. It's called moving the Overton window, but that doesn't explain everything you're doing, which is usually far more intelligent and rigorous and, um, uh, uh, robust, uh, at a, at a local level. And, and people, uh, I'm sure you're receiving even criticism from Christians, Dusty, who are just not understanding the differences between that public and then committee work. And, um, I just want to commend you because both functions are absolutely needed. And Christians, we have to understand that both functions are needed. So Dusty, I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that. Um, uh, I'm I'm well, ready to kind of ask you about some of the bills, but did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I, just very quickly, I've seen a few comments. I try not to read many comments on Twitter, um, but you know there there are some that I'll I'll catch here or there, and uh, they're saying you know look you you're trying to take us back to the 1850s. You're trying to take us back to the 1820s and i'm saying huh man i'm not doing this right uh i want to go back to the 1600s uh to the 1700s uh i need to push a little bit further but uh, i said that to a buddy and they said well it's because that's all they know they don't they don't know beyond if they had read some of the uh, actual puritans and actual the founders of our country they would maybe say you're more like them and i think Oh man, that would be such a compliment uh, to be. Yeah, we were already lost in the 1800s. the The Enlightenment yeah. was fully and fully rooted. Uh, much of the Christian thought had had been gutted already, and 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 moving into kind of this natural law type of references, which you know won mm -hmm. the day for you know being able to people go. Well, I think they're talking about God, but they're using the word nature, and yeah, no, yeah, we got we got to go right back to which you are, you're preaching at your church through the book of Deuteronomy, man. Like that's literally what Calvin did for his first two years in Geneva. So yeah. uh, good for you. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about the bills you propose because this really will help Christians. So um, I'm, I, I've got like, Microsoft has got an article about it. The national post, uh, the, sorry, the New York post has an article about it. MSN has an article about it left, right. And uh, they all, they all don't seem to be happy with you. Um, basically, what they're highlighting is you've introduced bills that would make watching pornography a felony. It would ban sexting, and also it would be a complete abolition of um, an equal right, rights bill for uh, abortion, which would then make abortion a criminal offense. So. Can you walk us through some of that legal work or some of that uh, political work that you're doing right now? Yeah, I actually have nine bills and I can just give you a, a very quick uh, breakdown of what they are. And it'll be quick. The first one is Senate Bill 1729. It's on abolishing abortion. And it would essentially uh, take prenatal homicide, which is abortion, out of the exceptions in the homicide code and just treat prenatal homicide like all the other homicides. Um, and it adds protections for 
coercion, but it, it doesn't add protections. It just claims the protections that we've already got and then strengthens uh, the protection for a mother. Since if you, if you kill the mother, you're going to end up killing the preborn child. So, you know, it, it, it's a coercion uh, protection. And then it, it's also protecting doctors, but also calling uh, emergency pregnancies. Abortion is not the right thing to call it. Emergency, dealing with emergency pregnancy, like ectopic, is um, not prenatal homicide. You know, it's a medical treatment. It's a triage situation. Doctors do that all the time. Uh, there's more to be said about that bill, but it gives equal protection under the law, criminalizing the act, the act, the act of prenatal homicide, not criminalizing a particular person. Uh, so that's kind of the the, I, the framing from the left. You tell me how you want to go through this. I'd love to stop and ask you a question on each one that you're doing. That's to. Right. So on that one, you obviously repeated the word, the act three times. Mm -hmm. So it's an important word. Um, walk us through helping people change their, their, um, their framework here. Um, obviously, and you've, you also addressed the left's language of just saying, now you're criminalizing women, which of course is ridiculous. So mm -hmm. why don't you just help people understand what you just said there a bit? Okay. Um, if we believe that life begins at conception, which is fertilization, and we don't just believe that all of our, our biology books say it, uh, then, and as Christians, we know that life begins at conception, which is fertilization from the moment that God enfleshes and ensouls a person in the mother's womb, whenever that sperm and the egg unite at fusion, you've got all the characteristics of a new individual scientifically, religiously, you know, theologically, we agree with that. <clears throat> so the question becomes from what moment do we protect that life? And the sixth commandment says, you shall not murder. And Jesus says to sum up the law and the prophets, uh, and, and, and the law is love your neighbor as yourself, love God and love your neighbor. So, what does it look like to love your preborn neighbor? Well, it means that they should deserve, they deserve the same protection that you and I deserve. So if it's illegal to murder you, it should be illegal to murder them. <clears throat> so we're essentially showing no partiality using equal weights and measures to all lives. Um, now people want to, I think people have largely been trained by uh, not so much the pro-abortion side, but the pro-life side that says, well, we can't, we can't get um, equal protection under the law. We can't, uh, the culture won't give us that. Yeah, we won't succeed, so let's not try. Right. The culture's right. not going to give you that. So you have to, what they're saying is move the Overton window, right? Uh, and how do you move it? Well, you end up having to... Uh, submit to the culture to have culture's permission to move the Overton window. And I think that is fundamental idolatry. You're asking the culture to give you permission. So who has the authority? The culture does. And really you're bowing to a culture that has been trained, not so much by the word of God, but by their sinful flesh, by the flesh 
and the world and the devil. And I would say at the root of it is a serpentine theocracy that you're bowing to, to say, will you please let us have a little bit more? You're going to the culture like a beggar. Can we have 15 week man? How about six? How about we'll get six weeks, but we won't criminalize the act of abortion. And so if you are a mother, you can kill your child with impunity. That means legal immunity. And we can, we'll protect a class of murderers so that we can still have child murder and child sacrifice. Is that okay, culture? I am here to say that is wicked. It's pagan. It is not uh, in accordance with the authority of God and the Lordship of Christ. So stop turning to them. If the culture won't accept what God says, then that's the culture's fault. You don't join them. You stand where God says to stand. And if they won't accept it, God will judge them. But if they are starting to move people like like me into positions of authority, then that's a good sign that God is bringing a measure of grace and repentance and perhaps bringing some healing to our land and uh, protecting those pre-born lives. Yeah, everybody, you can just hear all of the subtle differences between being someone who is careful to exegete scripture and careful to exegete law and then someone who is careful to exegete pragmatism. And unfortunately, we're kind of living in this world of people who are skilling themselves in posturing and uh, influence. They're, they're not starting at this right point that that uh, Senator Devers just talked about. You know, Psalm 139, we were just reading this uh, this week, right? For you created... Uh, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's wombs. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Like we have, uh, uh, we have we have missionaries who have done medical work all around the world based upon the love of people and the understanding of uh, uh, being fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm thinking of Paul Brand's um, work with uh, with leprosy, and w- this is this is such an important. Uh, point that you can just hear how how Dusty started with Scripture and then is now moving there into a real legal environment and using the using the law as it is uh, it is as it's supposed to be impartial uh, it is it, as it's supposed to um, be have equal protection and so folks that means that when someone knowingly goes and decides to end the life to kill life in the womb. That person is committing murder, and I think this is a very clear statement. And Dusty, I hope this—I hope this just goes right to the heart of so many young women who would ever consider an abortion, and even just the proposal of the bill and the teaching that is in it would already be at work to have people uh, step away from that—that—that that, that action. And then, of course, I hope that the the bill goes through so that then there is a lawful legal protection. Um, in Oklahoma. Okay, what's the next bill? Okay, the next bill is the. Um, let me just close this. The it's Senate Bill eighteen twenty five false report of well, it's. I don't know what the best name for it is. Really, <laughs> it's saying that. Uh, I think this is the malicious witness bill. 
You've got so many bills that you're working on. Okay. Yeah. It essentially, if you are a malicious witness, you knowingly, willingly lie about someone uh, and charge them with something, then whatever the punishment they would have received, you're going to receive. Okay. I like that's, this. That's Senate bill 1825. And really it, I mean, I call it the malicious witness act. Um, and you know, we get that from numerous places in the law, uh, Deuteronomy, um, 23, uh, or ex, ex, well, Exodus 23 says a person has no defense. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm jumping around here because you, you caught me uh, off guard, but uh, Deuteronomy 19, uh, 21 gives kind of the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, along with Exodus 9, 6, and uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Genesis 9, 6 and Exodus 21. But essentially what this law does is um, it, it looks at Exodus 20, verse 16, Exodus 23, 1 through 9, and Leviticus 19, 16, Deuteronomy 5, 20, Deuteronomy 19, 16 through 20, Proverbs 6, 16 and 17 and 19. And I know that's a lot of references, but it's just to say this is a firmly established law in Scripture that if you bear false witness, that you will be punished with the same punishment uh, in the court and in the community. So. Uh, there's some real, real clear, specific directions in there. And I just think, um, a, you know, Proverbs 19, five, a false witness will not go unpunished. And he who breathes out lies will not escape. Uh, if we really want to protect people uh, in society, we need to bring back just fundamental law uh, and what is just in accordance with God's equal weights and measures. Yeah, that's yeah, great. That's and great. just so everybody knows, everybody just knows to that. you, you gave a lot of references there, but like that one Deuteronomy nineteen sixteen. if a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse a man of a crime, the two men involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priest and the judges who are in the office at the time. The judges must take a thorough investigation. And if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against his brother, brother, then do to him what he intended to do to his brother. And mm -hmm. so, uh, folks, this is a really important concept. Uh, and when I say concept, I mean, of course, the bill itself will be important, but it's, it, it's, it's a further, it, it's also just a, an important concept because we're in a world where words like hate are being completely redefined, where, where, uh, people, people are publicly, uh, making slanderous statements and making uh, erroneous statements like on social media with absolutely no recourse. And, uh, so this type of bill, like, I, I don't know, I wanted to ask you, like, how far does this go dusty into the world of just slander? You know, like, um, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm glad you're not reading the comments on your Twitter feed, but just, but just literally yesterday, someone came on my Twitter feed and say, you know, Christians historically are literally the worst scum of the earth ever. And, you know, and then used a few very specific words for me and then immediately blocked me. Now, again, they didn't accuse me of a very specific crime. They haven't dragged me off to court in order to then accuse me of that, but we're getting there. And actually for our Canadian listeners, uh, Dusty, you, you need to know this, that within Canada, like they are, they're bringing in human rights tribunals 
they're 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 bringing in hate speech tribunals there's a there's a few private bills that have just had their first reading and they're going so far to say that like if if you just if you even think that that person is going to say something you're allowed to complain to them to a human rights tribunal like it's getting quite ridiculous in Canada uh this seems to be the exact type of bill that would be addressing that does this go does this address the kind of hate speech world that they're trying to build or is that going to have to be another one? Um, you're certainly shooting in the right direction here. Yeah, this really has to do with if you've been accused of something that you know you're innocent of and the person lied about you, then whatever, if they were proven to be a liar, uh, that they they were they were they're proven to falsely accuse you and you were innocent. Then if if they accuse you of stealing ten thousand dollars, then whatever the punishment of that ten thousand dollars is going to come back on them and they've got to pay you. Uh, if if they accuse you of um, rape and you didn't do it, then whatever punishment you would have had as a rapist, and they were a malicious witness then that's going to go on them. Uh, so it doesn't really deal with, um, you know, the public uh, aspect of it. If someone slanders you in public, you couldn't use this law and go after them in a court of law. That would be more like defamation. And those, those laws are already on the books. Um, right. Yeah. Well, it's great. It's certainly in the right direction and it, and it's needed because of course the emphasis is that you, you don't, you don't just, um, you don't, don't just willfully and, uh, without consequence, uh, make accusations. Yeah. All right. Do, are you ready for the next one or? Yeah, that's great. So the next one is, uh, Senate bill 1958 repeals, no fault divorce. Um, really the it's essentially taking the existing marriage law in Oklahoma and removing the incompatibility clause in it. 90 plus percent of marriages now dissolve in incompatibility. They just say, ah, we couldn't work it out. And, uh, you know, marriage has dissolved itself, uh, the, the whole nature and aspect of marriage as a covenant first principally before God and before man has dissolved to really no, having no more worth than, I mean, some people's word. Uh, unfortunately, there and it's and and by saying that, it's far less valuable in most people's minds than a business contract or a uh, even a cell phone contract. You break that, you're going to end up having to pay the rest of the, the, the bill and whatever it took to violate the terms of the contract. We don't even do that with marriage. Um, and really, God established marriage as the institution that would be the bedrock foundation of broader society. From the, the home, you learn all that binds um, people together and the law that establishes a beautiful home and the gospel that establishes the grace of Christ in that home. Uh, so uh, I'm not saying that, that all marriages 
have to take on the law of God and the gospel of God in a public fashion. We're not demanding that non-believers take that on. What we're saying is uh, marriage must be protected in our in our society. And if we don't protect marriage, then we are harming children. We're harming victims of people who would harm the, the marriage covenant itself. And we're not giving, we're, so we're not giving them any protection under the law. And it is our government's pr- principal concern to protect innocent people and punish evildoers. So if, let's, for instance, a husband abuses his wife right now, she can get out on uh, incompatibility and just kind of be done. Uh, but it doesn't give her any protection. It doesn't give the, the boys any protection. If he if he abandons her, she gets no protection, uh, and the kids don't get any protection. So what this actually does is says, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, sorry, I, I just I'm so ready to respond. I want you to finish that thought. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt mm-hmm. you. No, go okay, ahead. Well, well, one of the things that one of the thoughts that came up to my mind is is I know a friend of mine is involved in a ministry that is, um, th- where he as the husband. Um, has been held away from his children simply because of a, of a vindictive wife. And so in, in going through and not, not establishing any fault yeah. uh, or desertion on her part, mm-hmm. he isn't legally protected. And, and he's in a number of, he's in a number of different ministries of hundreds of thousands of men that are just, they have no access to their children simply because she says you can't have any access but the but but the marriage was dissolved as no fault, yeah. so there's no point. there's no uh, there's no legal framework for yeah. for any uh, uh, grievance to to come back and try to have that changed. Yeah, that's exactly right, and it happens all the time. I've counseled two different marriages where the husband deserted or abused or uh, caused uh, such you know, cruelty that, uh, that the woman, the the wife and the kids were victimized. The the kids were even all three of the, of the kids attempted suicide, uh, or well, not two of them were the third looked like he was going to be on a path to do it. If we weren't, uh, protecting, uh, her and the kids. And the problem is like, they have no, um, no protection as victims right now. So, this law simply states there are there can be victims in the violation of a marriage covenant, and those victims typically are children first because they're. I mean, if you look at the divorce uh, rates and then look at the the broken homes and the effect down the road on these children's lives, um, marriage is is has got to be esteemed as God says it must be if we are going to have a thriving society. And this, this really recognizes that uh, we, we need to give protection and equal treatment under the law. So on a very practical level, I would assume then, cause I haven't read through the bill that this just means you have to give cause for the divorce the, the, yeah. uh, and that then that cause has to be legally established. 
Yes. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty much it. So Oklahoma's existing existing law had um, it recognized abandonment, adultery, unknown pregnancy, uh, extreme cruelty, fraudulent contract, and there was another one for impotence. And I essentially just took that that existing law and rearranged some of them, some of the reasons under abandonment. So desertion for a year, habitual drunkenness, gross neglect of duty uh, or insanity per, for a period of five years. That was in the existing law. So we've got abandonment, adultery, unknown pregnancy, essentially is when the wife at the time of her marriage marriage was pregnant by another man other than her husband, unbeknownst to him, or the husband at the time of his marriage had impregnated another woman other than his wife, and she didn't know. Um, and then there's extreme cruelty and fraudulent contract. So we had out, it also adds these penalties that um, the court may consider the degree of harm caused by a party or both parties held at fault for the dissolution of the marriage. So yeah, it's finding fault and then giving the court the right to make to award based on that fault. Man, I have so many things to just try to draw to people's attention. So first of all, everybody, this is where, by the way, this is where the war is won in a, in a constitutional democracy, folks, defining words, getting those words passed into law. It, 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 it is, such a protection. You, you just have to understand how important this work is. And then number two, um, anybody who would be sitting at Dusty and saying the gospel is the gospel for the church, in the church, for the church. Guys, this is the gospel transforming a, a local church's life, a local pastor's life, a local man's life so that he takes seriously all of God's word not just that little framing word gospel and, and, and pastors stop using gospel garbage all the time. And not everything is the gospel. Uh, the definition of a man or the definition of a woman or the definition of desertion is not the gospel, but it's important. So folks just, just look at and look at, and then the third thing I want to say is just look how simple it is. <laughs> like, I, I'm not saying it's simple, Dusty, you've done a lot of work to get here, but it's looking at, it's looking at, bills and going, oh, that word needs editing. That framework needs to go out so that the court can award, uh, can, can, uh, can give a verdict in favor of or against certain individuals. And folks, this is great Christian work. Wow. That I'm, I'm, and by the way, marriage guys, we, 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 we're this, this bill, Dusty will be a blessing in so many ways. And it's an area that I think we, not I think, as a culture, we have just destroyed uh, the protection of so many people. Yeah, th that's explained so well. Thank you. Okay, what's the next bill? What do we well, got? I think, I think before moving to the next one, uh, yeah. if you pair the Malicious Witness Act alongside the repeal of no-fault divorce, then you end up with a double protection. If, let's right. say, a wife lies about her husband uh, that he did something. And then that's the grounds for the divorce. Well, if she lied about him, then she's going to be punished in the way that he would have under that malicious witness act. So that would protect the marriage or that would protect him. 
but then it would also give him grounds if he had to divorce uh, for her really making an attempt on his livelihood uh, and an attempt on the marriage. So it, 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 they work together. All these work together. That's the nature of God's law. It, it's a um, perfectly aligns with the character of God to show God's wisdom. Uh, in all, it's things. interesting when when we say when we say the phrase "God is a God of order." Mm-hmm. So often, what people mean by that is uh, the kid in the church who's wearing ripped jeans. Uh, the rip is out of order, and we should take that infraction very seriously. But it, it is much more intrinsic to a conversation like this, where God's God's order is so holistic and works together as both a reflection of his character and a blessing to his created order because it has been created um it is created with the structures that he's established mm-hmm. and when we recognize those things like like you said everything works together and mm-hmm. and uh that this is that's a great point so the next one goes along with those. Uh, this is Senate Bill 1976. This is by the, the way, one... I love the way that you're excited. I love the <laughs> way that you're excited about sharing these. Uh, this one is the one that's gotten a lot of publicity, uh, even more than the abolishing abortion one. This is the abor- abolish pornography bill, and uh, it gives uh, it crimes and punishments for uh, civil, civilly, and criminally for um for really um possession and well production distribution and consumption from a criminal level and from a civil level it allows someone to sue for the production and distribution of pornography uh so it 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 really is coming back and saying uh well, let me just start by saying, you know, you see people online say, you get your God out of our government. And we're saying, well, let's be honest. There's, there's always a God in the government. There's always an authority who's authorizing these laws. And uh, it's either God, and I've said this before, it's either you have the triune God or a serpentine theocracy. It's always been the same since the beginning. Did God really say coming out of the serpent's mouth or God really said, and we should really obey him. There's not some uh, you know, neutral, neutral ground. So with that said, uh, this law is, is really challenging uh, to a lot of people. They're saying, look, that it's against our first... Con- First Amendment rights. Okay, let's let's understand a few things about the First Amendment. It says, you've got to understand the first word of it, Congress. Congress shall make no law. We're not Congress. This is Oklahoma. Oklahoma has, from the federal constitution level and the Oklahoma constitution level, the right and responsibility in the Tenth Amendment to protect their own citizens. And so that's, that's number one. Congress is not Oklahoma. Okay. So we have the right and the power and, and the responsibility. Number, number two, uh, not all conduct is speech. 
we're saying things, but pornography is not speech. And obscenity is not protected under the First Amendment. Uh, what we have drafted this law to do is to ask if a jury in Oklahoma believes that pornographic material has merit for Oklahomans. Is it good? Is there any good in it? Or is it harmful? Now, we're going to have to define it, and that's what this law does. It defines it, what is obscene, but also um, unlawful pornography. Uh, so really, it leans back on the, there was a, there was a court case called Miller versus California, and the Supreme Court established a three-pronged obscenity test to determine if speech or expression could be labeled as obscene. And if it is labeled as obscene, then it is not protected by the First Amendment of the Constitution. So there's, there's a couple layers there. The Constitution of the federal level doesn't protect obscenity uh, which we would say we're ready to challenge that and see if pornography actually upholds that. And second, Oklahoma has the right to go beyond what Congress says anyway in protecting our own people. Now, I'll, let me just say this, and then, and then I'll, I'll open it up. Um, Miller versus California had a three-pronged obscenity test. And that three-pronged test is number one, arousal test. It's called the uh, purient test or prurient test, whether the average person applying contemporary community standards would find that the work taken as a whole appeals to the purient interests or arousal. Uh, the second is offensive test. Uh, and the third would be the serious value test, whether the work taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. And we're, we, I believe that a jury in Oklahoma would say these pornographic materials don't pass the arousal test. They don't pass the offensive test and they don't pass the serious value test. And maybe they only, they don't even pass uh, two of them. So I think Oklahoma we'll stand up and say, we'll do what's right in this situation. It's really exciting that Oklahoma might uh, actually stand up and say, and, and, and do what it's right. Um, whenever we talk about free speech, I always remind my listeners, folks, like there's always been limits to free speech. Uh, the first amendment is so very much important. The, the, the fundamental right of freedom of speech and freedom of expression are important, but we've always had limits to it. Like concepts of captive uh, captive audience, prior restraint, libel, slander, defamation, um, the, the, uh, inciting violence, uh, porno uh, child pornography has been included in, in that and is still included in that uh, in the fun in in the limits um, uh, within Canada and the United States. Obscenity, as uh, uh, Senator Devers has just talked about, is there? Like, there's always been limits, friends, and go. You know, Dusty, you 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 made a great comment, of course, that those limits. So, so that the freedom is so important, but the definition of the freedom and then the definition of the limits are also so important. And where do we get those from? Yeah, man, talking about the concept of 
Yahweh, God, versus the like God of our culture, this bill is attacking the God of our culture. Like, mm -hmm. so if they say, if they say, get your God out of our government, it's like, no, no, no. Let me, re let me help you understand that. I'm bringing my God back into the government to make Dagon fall flat on his face. Your, your sex God to fall flat on his face, but, but, but your sex God is there. That's of course why this is getting so much feedback, right? The simple statement that sex sells. Yeah. Like there's a lot of people heavily invested in, uh, making the, making the, making the explicit material that is a form of idolatry. That is a form of idolatry. And so you've got all these idol makers, you've got all these film producers, you've got, you've got all of these people who are trying to promote the sex cult for profit. Why? Because it's such an impulse. Um, I, I mentioned that I was going to be uh, interviewing you today when I was at the gym and, and someone brought up like, is that the guy uh, about this, about that bill? And I said, yeah, of course it is. And um, that this is a real, this pornography bill is so important. I said, look, here, here are the views that you have about pornography. You either love pornography and are addicted to it. You love pornography and you know that you shouldn't be and are convicted every time you participate in it. You hate porno pornography, but on any side of the category, whether you would admit that this is a physical a temptation for you or not, nobody gets to say this is a good thing. Like, so, and the point I was trying to make to the, to my trainer, to, to the guy I was talking about was like, this would be an area where many people would look at Christians and say, look, you, you're hypocrites. Like you, you like this just as much as we do. And it is a real legitimate struggle for so many <clears throat> men. But guys, this is where the law is a good teacher. This is where the God, the law is a good corrector. This is where the this is where the, where the law incites the fear of God into men, so that even those who might say, "I want this to be rid from my life," but I'm I'm still struggling with this, those men now have a real incentive to not go anywhere near that category because now they have to face the law. And so, Dusty, I think this is a really important bill. I want to thank you for uh, issuing it. I, I, and you are attacking the god of our culture. And um, press on. And uh, for all of us who, you know, any male who struggles with lust, uh, as 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 we all do, we need the law in order to enforce and and to control our behavior. I think this is going to be very helpful if Oklahoma, uh, the court stands up and does the right thing. So thank you. And, and of course, that's why you're getting the most amount of attention on it because everybody connected to the industry, it is their God, it's their money income. Um, and people don't understand actually, Dusty, you pointed on a point that I just preached on, on Sunday. Um, people don't understand about idolatry. Idolatry is simply either taking the word the imaginary word of another and fashioning it into a God and actually making a little physical God or idolatry is simply placing someone else's word over God's word so that in your heart, you can worship that little thing that you keep wanting to, to get involved in. It is a form of idolatry. Whenever you even would place the first amendment above God's law. And so 
thankfully this works within the the confines already the already the legal parameters of the first amendment as are known and i think you're right you're going to pass the you're going to will they pass the obscenity test or fail it how would you word that it does it it, it, like does it they, does they it would, meet the obscenity test or does it they fail would. it i guess either way they're not <laughs> it's not gonna work uh, it's yeah. gonna be obscene yeah right yeah. uh you, you know you you brought up a, a really good point and then we can move on but the reality is our constitution our declaration our, our founding documents recognize that the rights that we have are not given to us by government they're given to us by god and the God that they were talking about was the creator God. Now, they were different positions, but they were coming from a Christian uh, moral framework. And they were built, there was a civilization that was built on Christianity. So the God-given rights to life, liberty, and property, uh, we, we then have to ask, okay, if they're God-given rights, then does this God give us the right to do evil in accordance with his word? Well, no, you don't, he doesn't give you a right to do evil. That's why he gives the government and just law to punish evildoers. And he literally says in Romans 13, and then in first Peter two, to uh, terrorize evildoers and to be avengers of God's wrath upon the evildoer. So uh, you, if you back up and look at the rights that we have, they're not just rights that are coming from a neutral position for all humanity. No, they are coming from the God who is over humanity, who made humanity, and who says that all things were created by, for, and through Jesus, and to him belongs all the glory from those people. So those that's where our liberties come from, and we have the liberty to do in accordance with his will, not against it. Yeah, that's brilliant. I the I think the only thing I wanted to just, you know, tennis match back at you mm-hmm. and and comment on that is folks, this is why these conversations always lead you to talk about God. <laughs> like it is such a beautiful opportunity to bring people to Christ because they're going, "Why are you doing this? And why are you limiting this? And what but why would like, and and why would you be, um, you know, you're limiting this, but you're, you're saying every people have this freedom and in every conversation you get to go, well, because I'm calling you to God, I'm calling you to Christ. Because again, if, if we say God given rights and, and God by definition in the constitution is the moral will of the people, uh, as a, according to the French, um, if, if we say God is, uh, Allah as, as a, a, a according to Islamic nations, you know, uh, that authority changes pretty quick people like you're either returning to the god of abraham isaac and jacob who delivered uh delivered all of those who would turn and repent through our lord jesus christ to make him king of kings his son uh you're either believing the in the triune god father son and holy spirit or 
which gave us the which gave us all of these things or you're you're exchanging that god for something for something completely false completely vile and you're going to get what you're going to get and so if you turn to this sex cult thing yep you might be able to do whatever you want uh in, in the world but you're going to trade it for being able to do anything else because they're just going to use that to control you so mm -hmm. uh this is this is this is really great so keep at it on that one for sure um, and I think I handled the hypocrisy thing, folks. It's, it's, it's one thing to be a hypocrite, it, it admit sin temptation, and it, it is another thing to confess that and say, but I want to be a part of the movement that helps teach people to get out of that. So, Okay, the next one is Senate Bill 2000. Uh, I got that even number. Uh, and it is uh, an amendment to Oklahoma Statutes, Title 26, that requires voter attestation to accuracy of residency information. So essentially it, it makes every voter attest to the, their physical address and their residency that what is, that's what's listed uh, in their, on their residence card, on their, on their uh, voter card is where they actually live. And uh, if their address is changed, they will give a uh, we we will give them a provisional ballot once, and then they will have to go and change their uh, their address and make sure it's all updated. And if they fail to fill out the voter registration form, the voter will be removed from the voter rolls by the election board. And this is after a time, but you know, they're going, we're going to do everything we can to give them a provisional, get them changed and get them up to date. But this is, this is already acceptable in our U S constitution and the Oklahoma constitution. It just gives a little bit of teeth on the established law. Anyway, um, it requires the individual to testify to their residency for the purpose of enforcement of these requirements. So, so, can I ask you a question on this one? Because for my Canadian listeners, I know they're thinking this and I'm asking it out of ignorance, but is it, can you really vote in the, in the United States of America and not prove who you are and your, and, and your residence? Like, you know, I, I get a, I get a voter card. Like when, when we are living in, in Ontario, you get a voter card, that voter card tells you which poll you can go to, you go. And they, they literally look at your address and they see that it matches with your driver's license. Like, can you really walk and vote in, in, in Oklahoma without proving who you are? Well, you can have disparity of addresses. Uh, you're not supposed to per the law, but we've let it slip and, and really just not enforcement. So whenever I was campaigning, I would knock on a house. I had a list of the voter registration for one house. There would be six or eight people registered to vote and probably four, three or four different last names and people have moved or people have died or various other things have happened. They're just not there. And so there's two people living there and they're probably part of the four or five or six people that are on the voter roll. But so anybody in that address could actually go and vote. They don't have to, they haven't proved, they haven't changed their, their uh, residence uh, on the voter record, but they've changed it physically. They might've moved out of the district 
and not be really legal voters in that district, but they haven't changed their information. So that's one way that that voter fraud is happening, uh, and especially through absentee ballots. They keep addresses or they'll create an address at a certain place, and then they'll just mail in votes because they don't have to go in in person and prove it. Right. Like, so six ballots go to a place, go go to a residence or are assigned to a residence. Two people live there. Four have moved out of the state. And the, that person just ticks off all the boxes and sends those four back in. Am I understanding that correctly? They can do that. Yeah, well, that's as a, as a new immigrant to this country and who is a legal immigrant, uh, please continue to press for that. That's great. Yeah, it's it's not supposed to be the case, but there's just not been teeth around it. Okay, Senate bill, this is the number seven. Uh, I, I believe that we're on number seven here. No, 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 we're on, we're on number six. Uh, this is Senate bill 2005. It's restru- restitution and retributive justice um, bill. And really what it do, does is requires the court to prioritize the order for restitution to victims to the extent feasible. So it's simply uh, putting restitution or restoring a victim before just throwing a guy in jail or doing something. It's bringing the victim whole first. Um, And on our, on the Oklahoma platform, the GOP platform, the Republican platform, it says this, restitution by the convicted criminal should be ordered to be made to the victim or his estate to compensate for losses and damages incurred as a result of the crime or crimes committed. There are current law that makes some of these provisions for restitution. We're simply just saying forward, prioritize restitution to the victim. Does that make sense? Which, yeah, no, it does. And and I I assume then when you just say, when you make sure the order is correct, then now you're looking at the legal system and the legal system, if you're, you know, when they know they're going to be held accountable, the legal system then just has to think about that and give that in the, uh, would it be give that in the, in the decisions where it would be, it would be like, okay, so-and-so has to do 500 community hours, not community, but hours towards the payment of this or said fine to pay this back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's going to force the court to think through the specific orders in the decisions and give priority to pay back to retribution. That's great. That's fantastic. That's so biblical and so needed because we, you know, we don't just send, send people and put them in jail and then pay for their jail time and just doubly cost the citizenry. You're trying to get them to then pay back what they've done. Yeah. It's great. So that's from Exodus 22, 1 through 15, Leviticus 6, 1 through 7, Numbers 5, 5 through 7. It's it's really an restitution is an act of restoring or compensating for something that was taken or harmed. And it's it's less a form of punishment, but it's rather a way to make things right and restore balance and harmony in the relationship. Uh, and it, it demonstrates a sense of accountability and responsibility for your actions. Um, and it's always an acknowledgement that wrongdoing carries a cost and there's always a debt to be paid by someone and the offender should act to repair and restore 
the relationship, but also what the, the debt. Um, okay. Senate bill 2030. And, and, you know, there's some, there's some broader effects of that. We end up on petty crimes and, and otherwise where there's, it, it might just end up being more of a civil action where we require uh, restitution and maybe fewer people will go to jail or prison for various acts. They will spend, you know, 10 years trying to restore that person that they've, uh, you know, put in debt for a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Uh, so yeah, I would assume that this would really fit well for crimes that are not nonviolent crimes, right. like, I, I, meaning fraud and things like that, where, where literally they can be put on a payment plan and not a payment. Like they, they, they are on a forced payment plan. That, that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, really it's looking at victims and saying, is our current justice system making whole these victims? Number one, number two, it's looking at the perpetrator and saying, is our current justice system, uh, even treating the perpetrator properly uh, by directing them towards their relationship to that person that they victimized, but also using them as a well-functioning uh, means of society to bring back that restoration rather than them uh, putting, them, putting them away from society so that the victim is not made whole and that person's not improved in their life and that accountability uh, and discipline doesn't have its good effect. Okay, Senate Bill 2030 uh, is on a gold and silver standard in Oklahoma to use as uh, as legal currency. Um, so essentially what it does, it, it directs the state treasurer to um, set up the means to either use Texas's gold and silver depository to create transactional gold for legal tender in Oklahoma or to set up our own gold and silver depository to then create transactional gold and uh, be used by the citizens of Oklahoma for uh, really as what would end up being in the long term a hedge against inflation. That's fantastic. Like mm -hmm. that, like, I, 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 we could, we could spend a whole show talking about that one. That, that would be fascinating to talk about. So I'll, I'm going to leave it at that. Cause I don't have anything to say other than all of my, all of my prepping friends have now just done a big hurrah because they're the gold they're carrying around in their knapsacks will be used useful in Oklahoma, but that would be a really brilliant one. I'd like to dig more in into economic stuff about that and and hear your rationale. So yeah. let's move on. But we could that's we could a do very that interesting for one. Sure. Great job. Uh, it, it's pretty fascinating. And and right now all the gold is being held in Switzerland or or uh, over you know in uh, not here in the United States. And so to actually physically use your gold in as currency is most people can't do it. Um, that's why Texas's depository was set up right now. It's not set up for transactional gold. They don't have the bills in place that have been the law in place that, that has passed to, to acquire it. But that's what, what the aim is here. Either use Texas's or us set one up and use it 
but it will be like having a credit card. Well, it'd be more like a debit card that you use to just transact, whether it's at a grocery store or wherever, and you can also get your pay, your monthly pay in gold, um, your salary. You know, you could set it up with your employer. Uh, you could you could pay out insurance or whatever else that you're using in in gold. Uh, so it's it's pretty fascinating. Fascinating is the word. I'm smiling because I'm just. I'm not obviously connecting to the gold standard is the, the, the theory behind this, right? That inflation happens when governments can just make money with, with absolutely no commodity that would limit just the printing of infinite dollars. So this is absolutely great. I just can't get over the fact that you're doing that. I, I just, I think that's so wonderful. I just can't get over the fact that you're that, people in Oklahoma are going to be able to get their paychecks in gold. That's, that's yeah, exciting. It's, it's pretty great. How, how much do you get paid? I, I get five ounces of gold a month. It's great. It's like another form of Bitcoin, right? Like, like mm -hmm. I, I assume that that's kind of where the concept's coming, right? Bitcoin is trying to become this um, limited digital currency and yeah. so you're taking the technology of being able to utilize online transactions, but instead of limiting it to a random organization that uh, like, I know that I know that we do some ad reads for bull Bitcoin and they are, uh, they, they, they are, they always have to fight the, uh, uh, the accusation that this can either be, this is, controlled by a few individuals and can be manipulated. Um, so th this seems like a really good type of parallel to something like that or, or similar strategy to something like that, except it's linked to actual gold. That's yeah. How, how many gold coins did you get? I've, I've, well, I've got so much in so much gold in the, in the caves of green, green grots or whatever that is. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. Uh, so the next one is Senate Bill 2031, and that is to repeal the state income tax. Um, we want it to be zero. And uh, I, I think that it is unjust to tax a man's uh, means of gain, uh, tax his income. Uh, I think it's taking a first fruits where God is only allowed that first fruit. Um, and uh, really, if you look at first Samuel eight, you look at uh, the 10 commandments, what you end up with is if the state can take your first fruits, then demand that from you, then you are a ward of that state. You are in possession of that state. Cause if you don't pay them, they will come and get you. So you then have this, this hierarchical structure that doesn't put you in alignment first with God. It puts you alignment first with that state. And that is the goal of a, uh, of anyone that is not in alignment with God. It's to move you into alignment with a false God that they can then control you. And they can, uh, if you think about some of the, the commandments, uh, you shall not murder what murder, what, what the, if you look at, um, what that means more broadly in the consequence is 
you shall, you must do everything on the positive side. You must do everything you can to uh, protect your, your own and your neighbor's life and not risk their life and to not just risk their life, but their livelihood. Whenever you take a man's money, you are stealing from his livelihood. And it's so it's a violation of the sixth commandment. It's a violation of the eighth commandment. You shall not steal. You are compelling him to give his income and forcing him to give his income. So you are in that in that form of taxation. I don't believe that all taxation is theft, um, but in the form of taxing a man's income, that is compelling uh, him to to give the his wages, his earned income. Uh, you're 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 stealing a portion of his work. Uh, and making him a ward of the state, then you're also violating the 10th commandment as a state, you're coveting. All that that, what that all does is it violates then the first commandment, creates a new God, and that God is the state. And when the warning in 1 Samuel 8 is whenever you don't want the God, uh, you don't want Yahweh, if you don't want him, if you try to set up a king, what that king's going to do is he's going to take your young men, he's going to put them into war. You're going to end up with a military state, a military industrial complex. And you're, the men who are most capable for building families, building your society, he's going to remove them and he's going to keep them for himself. So this is a private versus state feature. The state becomes the God and the, the, whoever's ruling it will steal the most uh, potent aspects of your culture. He'll also take your women and he'll put them in his, in his harem. Now, what does that look like? Well, he'll take your women out of the home and he'll put them into his charge. He's going to have command over the women. Well, how do you do that? Well, who's the biggest employer of women in our, in our nation? It's the, it's the government. They employ more women. They employ more women than anybody else. But and quite frankly, they employ more men than anybody else too. Um, and that's that's true across across the nation. Uh, so they've taken our young men. They've taken our women, and they're that's that's what First Samuel eight says they're going to do, and. Uh, they will end up creating a government that's so big that it becomes the father. Uh, and you then have to become dependent upon it. And that's what our current welfare state is. So everything that we have been warned would happen is happening. And uh, I think part of that has to do with the state through income tax and the federal government through income tax now makes you subservient to give them the first fruits of your labor. And that is only something that God has command of. I'd love to ask you about what you think of property taxes, because a, a similar argument has been made for property taxes in the sense that if I, if I own real property, um, but that property can be taxed at a certain level that would if I fail to pay that tax, then I lose that property. Then do I real, do I have real property ownership? You don't. And, um, 
that so this is a very important concept everybody if we use if we just extrapolate the idea um someone who pays a hundred percent of their wage to someone else is called a slave mm -hmm. and so to take a step back someone who pays 10 percent of their living wage to someone is a ward i think you've done a great job of articulating that and being a ward is one step towards the bigger and more opulent and more covetous the state becomes, um, the the ward concept quickly becomes a slave mm -hmm. concept, uh, and not a not a concept, a, a reality. Uh, that's really exciting. And, and Dusty, maybe uh, in further conversations, we can talk about property taxes on that because I I pay property taxes, mm -hmm. and I look around all the time and I go I pay property taxes, and the vast majority of my property taxes are told so that I can pay educational taxes, and I homeschool my kids. I I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't utilize that system. So now if I, if I did utilize that system, then of course payment would be uh, appropriate, but it doesn't need to come through taxation. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can pay a school because I partner with the school as a parent That's in the true. same way that I do partner with places like the Ezra Institute to train my kids in worldview training and uh, Logos online school, you know? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden you have this public system that just tells me I have to be a part of it. Oh, you're not a part of it. Well, you are a part of it. And then if you don't pay that, then you don't own your home. So that would be a fantastic uh, follow-up conversation. And I'm so glad you're connecting all of these ideas with this, with this bill. Are we at the last one or do you we've need to got, go? Like, how are we doing for time? We've got two more and I can, I can be, uh, actually we've got one more. Uh, I can be quick on it. And really this one gets toward what you're saying. This is another tax tax issue. Um, yeah, so Senate Bill 2037, I've called it the grocery tax monthly rebate. Um, but it's, it's really, so in Oklahoma right now, there's this fight between the, the governor and between some other legislators about decreasing the income tax or, and some of them are saying, well, let's not get rid of the income tax. Let's get rid of the grocery tax. And from my perspective that from and a, I think is a biblical perspective that proper taxation would be to tax um, now there is a head tax and we could talk about that but I don't I don't really want to talk about that right now because this one I think is on the taxing of consumables if you consume something you have a choice you don't have to but if you choose to purchase something, then I think that is it's fair to tax that at that place. So goods and taxing some services. So you're consuming these goods and services. The people who are working, who are doing, who are providing the goods and services are also having to pay taxes on what they've consumed. So they're essentially passing onto you the tax that they're doing we've already got pass along tax but what you end up in it's called a fair tax construction in a fair tax construction you only pay on new purchase and you pay on service so you don't pay taxes on your possessions in perpetuity so if you buy your home then you you pay your tax on it that first time and and you pay your tax on your property that first time and you're done paying taxes on it. 
you don't pay taxes in perpetuity. So then it comes back to you being the possessor of your possessions, not you being a steward of the state's possessions. Property taxes, as they're set up right now, makes you a steward who has to continually pay for the state's possession. Because if you don't pay it for three years or whatever your state says, they will put it up for auction or they'll just take it themselves and they can sell it. And you don't have your property anymore. And really, our tax system right now is set up to divorce you from generational wealth. It's to divorce you from your, your heritage from generations of heritage, because the state wants you separated from your history so they can rewrite your future. If they can divorce you from, like, think about what they're doing with the monuments. They're tearing those things down. Are we giving praise to everything that people did? No, we're not praising these aspects of what they did. We're saying if we don't remember our history, not only will we make some of the same mistakes in our future, but our future, uh, if, if you take away, if you, if you make our feet on quicksand, quicksand, and rather than rock, then we can go any direction, I mean, but ultimately we're going to be going down. Uh, and that's the state knows that Satan knows that. And if, if you cut off the story of your family or my family by how how can you cut off the story of your family and my family? Well, you can you can try to rewrite it through education, but you can especially rewrite it through divorcing people from their physical possessions. My, my house burned down in 2020. We lost all of our physical possessions, and what I've lost in that is connection to memories. You know, I look at a picture of family and it reminds me of a lot of that context. What happened and who was there and all those pictures are gone. I've, I've lost those memories now too. That's the same on a broader, broader scale. If they can divorce you from your family's inheritance, because you end up having to pay taxes on it. Let's say that, that Mike, you inherited an estate worth $5 million dollars. Uh, which in today's money is not massive. It, it could just be a small house in California for that matter. But you don't make enough income to pay the property tax on it and the insurance on it and whatever else comes along, then you're going to lose it. Even though your great, great grandparents paid all the property tax on it, it stayed in the family. You're going to have to pay an inheritance tax. You're going to have to pay a death tax. You're going to have to pay a capital gains tax. You're going to have to pay the property tax, all these different taxes. They're stealing your heritage to make it their own so that you won't have your own heritage. And that heritage, all of it is connected to uh, establishing God as the ruler over it all and whether our stuff is his and whether we are his or it's some other gods, there's a big conversation to have there. Yeah, absolutely. And so your, this proposal is to eliminate where, where, which you actually didn't get to the point of, of which, which tax. <laughs> so just tell me that. And then I'm going to let you go. Cause you've been on, we've been on for, we're going for about an hour and a half and I know you're, you're very busy. So just 
Yeah. Let us know wh which one was it? Was it the grocery tax? Well, like it's it's essentially giving a monthly rebate of four point five percent of the poverty line. So it establishes a the Department of of uh, Human Services d establishes what's the poverty level, and then it gives you a four point five percent rebate every month, depending on how many dependents you have, and. Uh, in essence, it's like giving you a 4.5% tax rebate. So okay. you're, it's saying you've been paying your taxes on this and we're going to give you that tax back. Now, um, if you're at the poverty level, then the goal eventually would be that if you're at the poverty level, you're functionally not paying any taxes, period, because you're getting it all back in a rebate. If you're above that poverty level, you're still going to get that same rebate as people who are at the poverty level. But if you choose to buy that brand new boat or if you choose to buy um, a brand new, uh, you know, side by side, uh, fine, you're going to pay the taxes on it. If you buy used, you won't pay taxes on those things. Uh, so if you buy um uh, but if you buy like groceries, whatever, those are going to be taxed. This has the title of grocery tax rebate because it will feel like a grocery tax rebate, not because we're, we're taking our taxes and saying, well, this is what they paid. We're, we're marking every time you go to the grocery store and we're giving you that rebate back. No, we're just saying this will feel like a tax, a grocery tax rebate. It's four and a half percent. That's what the grocery tax is right now. Um, yeah. So it's setting up a consumption-based uh, tax framework. Okay. That, that, that's, that's a much longer uh, dialogue and fascinating because obviously I think the one thing that our listeners took out of that, I, I certainly took out of it, is just think of all of the taxation that at root um, attacks the individual as – I want to use the word real, right? Like real money real property, which means that you own it and that it's not arbitrarily stripped from you simply because of the agenda of a government that wants to continue to in enjoy its own uh, uh, size and, and profit margins. So, mm -hmm. well, look, thank you so much uh, for walking us through those bills. Um, I, I want to end the show again, uh, uh, Dusty, by saying, so many Christians are watching what you're doing. Keep, keep getting the, keep getting the punches in the teeth and keep going because uh, you're needed. There's, there's a, there's a whole group from uh, Southern Ontario, Canada that I know is all talking about when can we go down and, and visit Senator Devers. And so uh, you're, you've been a great encouragement to us folks. This is such a great example uh, of, of you can tell that you've got a great legal team around you, good Christian uh, giving, you know, thinking through these things at a, at a, at a deep level. So keep going. Thank you so much. And uh, everybody, if, if the things that you're hearing us talk about go, you go, man, I haven't thought about these issues. That's, that's what the Ezra Institute and organizations like Liberty Coalition Canada exist to do. So remember that we have a number, the Ezra Institute uh, has a number of worldview leadership trainings happening this summer that we'd like you to sign up for. 
and we'd like you to go to the ezrainstitute.com and sign up. You can sign up for U.S. events. You can sign up for Canadian events. And it is this type of dialogue that will train you to live in the real world and uh, hopefully uh, engage you with people like State Senator Dusty Devers. So everybody, thank you so much for listening. Share this video. This is a really important one. So I hope you share this with many listeners, many of your friends, even even your friends who are not yet uh, not yet uh, so brash and open as believers. Share this video with them. And as always, Godspeed. Thank you.